I'm delighted to say that with us today we have Mark Brown. Mark was still a teenager when he joined Prince's band to play bass. A key member of Prince and the Revolution, an early gig saw him supporting the Rolling Stones before going on to be part of Prince's 1999 Purple Rain and Parade tours. He left the Purple Kingdom in the mid-1980s for a solo career with Motown Records before later going back to what he described as a normal life and Mark is also known for his work with the group Maserati and still tours with the Revolution to this day. Last year, he documented his formative years in the book Inside the Purple Kingdom. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. Can you take us back to meeting Prince for the first time? Did you sense even then that he was a bit different? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, the way he dressed alone. You know, this guy, first time I met him, he walked into a restaurant that I was cooking at. Uh, I was young. I was only 14, 15. No, let's see. I was 14 when I was a dishwasher. So 15. Yeah, I had to be 15 or 16. And I was cooking uh, in the restaurant. And um, he was dating Kim Upshur. And uh, she was one of the waitresses. And so... You know, he shows up, of course, to pick her up or to come see her. And uh, she comes running to the back. Now, I didn't really know who he was. I had heard that uh, this guy had put out an album and I never heard it yet at that time. I had never heard it, but I heard he had a song out called Soft and Wet. And I heard that um, he did all the instruments himself. And, you know, so I was pretty excited. When she told me it was him that was uh, out there in the restaurant. And so, and I had the privilege to cook pancakes for him. And uh, years later, me and him like had a big laugh about that because he had no clue that was me behind the counter there cooking his food. But that was my first encounter with him. And I mean, I remember when I looked at him, just the weirdest looking dude. I mean, just weird. I mean, in a good way. I mean, funky weird, you know, he looked like a rock star. So that kind of blew me away because I, I, I was just trying to figure out what a rock star was supposed to look like. So I was in the early stages of it. What was Minneapolis like in the late 1970s, uh, early 1980s for a young black teen growing up there? What, what can you describe that experience? It was interesting, you know, depending on the person you talk to, you'll get a different answer. Um, but for me growing up in Minneapolis, it was very, uh, very segregated, even though it was, uh, diverse and, um, blacks and whites were living together. There was still this sense of segregation in, you know, the sense that we didn't share the same clubs. We didn't share the same music venues. It was very different for us. Uh, even um, like I would go to a club just to get a feel for it. And would be, I would get removed from the club because they would say I was harassing the females or something. I didn't even talk to any females back then, you know, so it was always an excuse. Heck, I couldn't go to the bathroom without a, a security guy following me in there, you know, 
And all I would do is go in there and lean up against the wall because I'm just, you know, soaking in the vibes. And so this was the norm. And so it got really uncomfortable to go to some of these clubs. And so I would stick with like the Nakarima, the Elks Club, the Fox Trap, you know, some of the clubs where uh, black people frequented rather than go to the white clubs. And it's a shame that back then you had black clubs and white clubs. It's a shame, but that's the way it was. I wasn't aware until I read your book that um, there was genuine concern from Prince that you might be uh, an attractive man in the band. <laughs> you might get some of the limelight. You were getting interest. You were getting interest in female attention from the crowd. Yeah, um, I, it really tickled me that that story, um, and I just kind of. I just kind of wondered what your sort of reflections on that were, because a, a lot of people may not know that, but obviously Prince being Prince, you described him as the boss, but also an incredibly competitive Very. individual as well. Very. Uh, you know, and was that, was that part of the reason that in the long term you, you couldn't stay because there was just no opportunity yeah. for anyone else to have a share of the limelight? In the, in the early days, he was extremely narcissistic, extremely. And, um, and I don't take that away from him. I mean, you know, you need that to get where he got, <laughs> you know, you can't reach that pinnacle of success if you don't have a level of narcissism and, um, control of your own destiny. I mean, I remember Madonna giving an interview about how, you know, she watched Prince and what Prince did even in her, for her own career. I mean, so, you know, it takes a level of narcissism. So I knew that going in, I had a really good mother, well-grounded. My mother really taught me well about what to expect from people. And one of the things that I learned very quickly about Prince is, oh, this is all about Prince. <laughs> I'm coming into his world and he wants me to be 110% and look and be my best. But if I start taking anything away from him, chop, 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 you know, he's he going to handle it really quickly. And uh, it started to happen when I started to find myself. That's probably the head bumping that he had with Andre. Because Andre, you know, he was a you know, good looking guy, got a lot of attention. I mean, I know that coming in because a lot of Andre's fans looked at me and be like, oh, you ain't Andre. <laughs> you know, a lot of the girls, they, they, they wanted Andre. And so I was a new face for them and they didn't like it. Um, so I had to, I started developing my own fan base, but it started to grow and it started to get bigger and bigger. And as it got bigger, oh man, he did not like it at all. Did not like it. And that's when he started really uh, shutting me down, putting me more behind the scenes than more in the front of the scenes. Yeah, and just to explain, um, Andre, what, what's anyone who doesn't know, uh, Andre was the first bass player with Prince's band and, and someone who grew up with Prince in his formative and school years. There's, there's a very, very funny story in the book, if you don't mind me recanting it. In fact, I'll, I'll need your, your help. You describe, I think you meet Prince... I think roller skating at a lake with his girlfriend Vanity, who was a who was a famous model and who had a recording career of her own, and who was originally meant to be in the film Purple Rain before being replaced by uh, Apollonia. 
um, an actress, Patty Cotterill. But can you just describe to anyone who's not aware of this story <laughs> why you were meeting Prince roller skating at a lake and just his, his general appearance and <laughs> the, the memory of it overall? Well, you know, Prince liked to roller skate. And um, he didn't get, in the early days, he had time, you know, he had more the, of the ability to do things out in the public than he did in, as he got more and more popular. So when I was coming in, you know, Prince was just on the verge of it, that explosion of pop stardom and fandom. He wasn't quite there yet, but um, uh, so he would ask me to go do things with him in public uh, when I joined the band. And I remember uh, Lake Calhoun, and that's what it was called at the time. They changed the name of the lake now, but uh, it was called Lake Calhoun. And he wanted me, he asked me to meet him there to go roller skate because I love to roller skate. And so I was putting my skates on and, uh, you know, he had come around the corner. He saw me arrive and then he came and he met me, at, uh, by the car there and I was putting my skates on and he was on the ground. <laughs> he sees me looking and I'm like, dude. You, you're not going to believe what's coming our way. I said, oh, my, you know, it was like, OMG, look at what is coming. Vanity had on, it looked like a canvas or something, you know, and I remember all I can remember is because I'm low on the ground looking up and I'm putting my skates on. I had never seen anything like this. I was like, oh, I said, oh, man, do you see this? And then he starts laughing at the top of his lungs. She's coming right towards us. He's like, I was like, she's coming towards us. I said, oh, man. She jumps on top of him, starts hugging him. And he's just laughing at the top of his lungs because I'm, I'm like dumbfounded. I have this blank look on my face, eyes all bugging out. I'm in awe. I'm like, no way. What just happened here? And he's like, Mark, meet vanity. And so... That that was the uh, way I met uh, Denise, as her name was. That's what her name was back then. That's how I met Vanity. People that love music know that Prince stripped the bass out of When Doves Cry. I think that's fairly well known. Prince had a very specific way of playing the bass as well. I, I think I heard, I think it was Jimmy Jam talking about it once. Did he call it the Mama Dunn bass? How would you describe his playing for sort of bass guitarists out there? The one person that me and Prince have in common for influence was a guy named Sonny Thompson. Sonny Thompson is one of the most underrated bass players of our time. This dude is so bad, uh, so funky. And I learned a ton from Sonny because Sonny used to play in my band, Fantasy. He used to sit in with us all the time on guitar, and I would always get him to get on the bass, and, man, I would just study him. Sonny's got this growl about him, the way he plays, attacks the bass. He's left-handed, so he plays it upside down. But the way he would attack the bass, I picked up on that style, see? And then I created my own style because I would always pick pieces of different uh, people, like Mr. Marks from Slave, the group Slave. I loved his bass style, so I took a lot from him. I took a lot from Larry Graham. Um, but then I formed my own style. That's why I have my own style of playing. It is not Prince's style. 
uh, what Prince liked about my style is it's similar to his, very similar. Now, Prince, that's a bad boy. That's a bad bass player right there. Um, but I think like me, he picked up the styles from so many different people and he kind of formed his own. And it's very different than mine. Prince is more like a guitar player that understood the bass. Because, I mean, he had such... If you ever hear him play guitar, I mean, he has such a unique approach to it. Very aggressive, the way he attacks the strings, and the, especially when he starts plucking and stuff. I mean, just listen to Controversy Live. You'll hear what I'm talking about. I mean, he he just has a, a, a very unique uh, style, and he would take that to the bass. And so, you know, his bass would just be like, wow, what are you doing? Uh, this, these real backwards rhythms and he would just find these weird pockets. And so um, me and Prince are very different kinds of bass players, but very similar. And, and I am a sponge. So I mimic people. That's how I learned their style. So of course I sopped it like a bread on gravy. I sopped all his, his style up and ate it. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, Prince, you just gave it away. You just gave me all your juice. So I, I'm about to incorporate that in my style as well. So what you got to say about that? But he loved it. He loved it that I was able to absorb, but yet still be me. See, and that's what he liked about my playing. But uh, just to set the record straight, with all these bass players out here, Sonny Thompson was definitely an influence to me and Prince both. But we all have our own style of bass playing. You know, Prince didn't teach me how to play bass. I taught myself. And uh, Sonny didn't teach Prince how to play bass. Prince taught himself. Uh, uh, but we were all influenced by each other. And that's just the accurate truth about how that Minneapolis bass sound came about. Even Andre Simone plays a lot like all of us. We all have this kind of really backwards rhythm thing going on, you know, but we all have our own style. So I just want, I, man, I had to say that because I get so tired of bass players saying, well, you know, uh, Sonny Thompson taught Prince and then Prince taught Brown Mark. No, he didn't. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, but from what I've read in your book and from what I've read generally about your sort of entry into Prince's band, is is it fair to say that the when you were asked to, or when Prince was asked to support the Rolling Stones, that that was one of your, your first gigs with him? And, and also, uh, it's now become an infamous gig because it was one of the very few times, maybe the only time in Prince's career that we're aware of, where he was actually booed off stage and obviously, that's become a very infamous incident. Um, so two questions in summary. Was that one of your first, genuinely first gigs? Because it was a massive concert. And can you describe the sort of aftermath of it in terms of Prince's attitude? Yeah, um, it was the first show. And when, I, uh, when he asked me to join the band and I was in the group, I didn't even have a chance to rehearse with the band for a long time. Uh, man, we was off to LA, we was shopping, it was 
uh, music videos. It was all this other stuff. So we didn't really even have time to really sit down and really dig in. And I remember the Rolling Stones gig when he approached me and he said, we're going to be opening for the Stones and we're going to go on tour for them or tour with them. And I was like, whoa, the Stones. Woo, this is going to be interesting because there was all this andro androgyny and sexuality. And that's just not the Rolling Stones. It's not that audience, you know, talking rock and roll bikers and, you know, Hell's Angels. I mean, I was like, this is going to be interesting. And we hit that stage and woo, it was everything that I thought it was going to be. It was Woodstock all over to me. It was 90 something thousand people. I had never been in a stadium with that many people ever. And they're screaming, they're hollering, they're woohoo, and they're happy, they're drunk, they're, you know, hot, sweaty. Um, women were in their bras. Bras started coming off, flying on stage. I mean, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. They're on the shoulders of the guys. Um, there's uh, pushing and shoving. You can see the whole motion of the audience going back and forth. Because it's stadium, uh, it was stadium seating, festival seating. So they were all crowded in. And I mean, I never, they looked like cattle. They had uh, fire hoses on the sides where they would spray the people so that, you know, they would stay cool. It was, it, it was unbelievable. And so we hit the stage and, uh, you know, everything's good so far. And, uh, you know, there's two nights, there was two different days and, uh, that we played. And, um, so I'm only recalling the last day, everything was good until he wanted to switch the setup because on the first day, the, the reaction wasn't as good as he wanted it to be. So he switched the setup a little bit, uh, for the second day. And he threw in the song, Jack You Off. I knew that was a mistake. Oh, man. Um, and so we started singing, I'll jack you off, man. Then that audience almost went into a frenzy. It, I, I, at the first time I got scared. I mean, I was like, oh man, they are mad. And cause you know, it sound really homo, homo, it sound like it became very homophobic, you know, very quickly. Uh, these guys up on stage, this dude singing, he got on a G string, his butt hanging out and they talking about jacking off, you know I mean? So it was a very, um, intense moment of confusion and misunderstanding because that's not what Prince was about, but I don't think he understood the difference in culture. And so all that backfired and they went berserk, started throwing stuff and I got, hit with a few items. Prince got hit upside the head with, a, I think it was like a silver dollar or something. And that was it. Once he got hit, he ran off the stage and we all ran after him. I was the last one on stage because I was like, oh, what do I do? And everybody left me. And I saw everybody was gone and I was like, I'm out of here. And I started running. And then that's when the booze happened because we were gone. We left, we weren't finished. We just left abruptly. And so it was like, where are they going? Boo, you know, and it wasn't because they didn't like the music. It was because we just left. 
we didn't like the rowdiness. And so he left, got on the airplane the first time, and he had come back. And then the second day, I remember he picked me up. He came back around and, and asked me to hop in his car because I remember we were driving around. And I think he was very nervous about my reaction because uh, I think he was a little embarrassed. And uh, he told me, we're, we're not going on, on tour with the Stones. And I was like, oh, good. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to hear that because that's what it's going to be like. And we're in Los Angeles. Imagine when we start getting to like the Ohio area or some of the, you know, Midwestern states, it's going to be 10 times worse, you know? And so he was like, yeah, he says, I just hope that that didn't discourage you. I think he's scared. I was going to quit, I, you know? Um, and he goes, wait till you see our crowd. And I was like, our crowd, what does that mean? You know? And I think he was just talking about his audience, the Prince audience. And he said, it's going to be a whole different reaction. And so I didn't understand what he meant, but I was like, good, we'll see what happens. And then we opened up in Pittsburgh, totally different attitude. It was, it was night and day. Even his attitude, when he walked out on that stage, he was so cool. I had never seen somebody so cool. He knew he was home and he commanded that stage and he commanded that audience. And it was the baddest show I had ever seen in my life. Listening to you talk there, I mean, when you that show you talked about in Pittsburgh or the kind of opening of the real sort of Prince experience for you when Prince was on top form. Do you still, I mean, for people kind of outside that bubble hearing you reminisce, do you still get kind of goosebumps about that sort of stuff? I mean, do those, do those memories inspire you or is it just something that is a life experience now? It is a life experience. It, um, it, it does inspire me as well because what it helped me to realize is that in the world of fandom, that's what I call it, you, you are entertaining a, a people, a group of people that are there to be entertained. They want to be entertained. See, I used to look at music as, oh, people want to dance and they want to hang out with each other. So, oh, there's a band in town. And I had such a different concept of what, it, why you went to a concert, you know, I went to a concert because I used to listen to records and then I'd be like, Oh, I want to go see what they sound like, you know, in person. And so that, that's why I went, I didn't go because I'm looking for this entertainment. And I want to be like, you know, mesmerized and pulled in. So I had a different concept about it. And when I watched this audience, the first thing that came to my head, to my mind, was the Beatles. Uh, I slapped a girl's hand. You know, I, just, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just copying Prince. He'd walk up there. And <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, let me, let me entertain some audience. And I saw some girls screaming, and I tapped them on the hand. Once she passed out, she passed out cold. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Did I do that? I said, all I did was tap her hand. She passed out cold, missed the rest of the concert. They had to take her out. They hauled her out. I was like, dang, I cost her the whole concert. And so <laughs> they hauled her out. And that's when I realized we have such power on that stage. Um, our presence, uh, our imagery, everything about it. 
changed my whole world. So inspiration, yes, it, it totally made me realize the power of music and how people need it, want it, and love it. And you got to give them a show. People want a show. They want to be entertained. And Prince understood that. And that's why he was so bad. And, you know, he, he learned from the greatest. Heck, James Brown, Chuck Berry, uh, um, uh, L. Green, uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, uh, Elvis Presley. See, Prince studied these guys. And you could tell. Uh, you know, I don't know how closely you follow Prince, but just look at his clothing chain. You could tell what mode he was in. If he was trying to be like James Brown or Elvis Presley or the Beatles, I mean, you always could tell by the way he would dress. And so, uh, like they say, there's nothing new under the sun. If you can't beat him, join him. He wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. He would study the greats, and then he would come out and just mimic what they did. That's what Prince did. Uh, only he would add this sexuality to it because he was a good-looking guy, and then he had such an androgyny about him. I mean, he wore women's clothes. I mean, so he had this whole different vibe. And the women went absolutely berserk over him, you know. And so he had uh, the sexual thing uh, on top of, you know, what the what the rest of the people had, like Elvis. and Well, Elvis kind of had a little sex thing going on, too. But like James Brown and some of the others that I mentioned – um, they mesmerized the people, but Prince had that sexuality, like with Elvis. And so the girls would go crazy over that. I think what's good about talking to you, Mark, is that, you know, you may be not one of the last people, but you may be one of the few people who actually saw that, you know, this was a, a, a regular guy, albeit a, a very talented individual. But on the flip side of that coin, did you ever look at him sometimes and think, where is all the music coming from? Because we now know that, there's just this vast trove of music, you know, a lot of which you worked on in the 1980s. But were you ever sort of surprised by the sheer volume that he was able to to just keep churning out? And, the, you know, presumably he didn't sleep a lot in those years and sort of burnt, burnt the candle at both ends. But, you know, did the band ever discuss, well, where is this actually coming from? Not me. Um, me and Prince are just alike. I mean, that's one thing we had in common a bottomless well of music floats around in our brains. I'm, I'm just like him, me and him. He could call me up early one, two in the morning because he knew what I was doing. I had my own studio in my house like he did. I copied him. Everything he did, I copied. And um, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Brown Mark YouTube page. But you go on my YouTube page, there's a ton, there's a plethora of different genres of music that I tap into. I mean, orchestration, jazz, you name it. And it, it's endless. If I don't get it off my chest, if I don't get it out of my brain, I don't sleep. And um, I probably write a new song, uh, two, I probably write two, three songs a week on average. Prince probably wrote five songs a week. I mean, he was he was really, um, he was a little more dedicated than I was. When I wanted to sleep, I slept. He didn't sleep. I used to watch him stay up three days, and I'm looking at him, he's all like, you know, and I'm like, Prince, you need some sleep, bro. Get some sleep. No more coffee, no nothing. Go to bed, you know. And uh, so, you know, he was a workaholic like that. But, but it didn't surprise me 
where it came from because I understood where it came from. It comes from deep within when you grow up, especially in a, a, a place like Minnesota, uh, you have so many different uh, influences in you. And as you start to grow and you realize that you, you can like whip up this, this tasty dish, you know, or tasty dishes, you know, and you become a connoisseur of that. You, you're experimenting constantly with new stuff and you never, it never leaves your brain. I could be watching a television show and an idea just comes and I'm like, Oh, I got to go in the studio. And my friends used to think this dude is crazy. And, you know, cause I would at the drop of a dime, we would be at the movie theater and I would hear something. I'd be like, Oh, that sounds good. I, I would leave. I'd go right to the studio. They'd be like, man, I thought we was going out. I was like, man, I, I'll catch y'all later. I gotta go to the studio. And, um, because when it hits you, you gotta lay it out. If you sleep on it, it's going to haunt you. You're not going to sleep. You're not going to be able to do anything. So I understood Prince's mentality there because it takes you over. Join us in part two, where we discuss the rise of Prince and the revolution 